and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Yeah, thank you, Edie. Yes, thank you. That deserves a clap. <laughs> Thanks, Aletta. That was great. Good read. Um, we have got to um, the end of our little journey that we've been taking through uh, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, we've been looking at that for the last month or so. And um, we've been looking at this book, um, at some of the principles that we can apply to us as a church as we look at uh, doing a little bit of a, a revision, a rebuild uh, around our vision of uh, growing and caring and reaching. Um, and we've been um, thinking about what does that mean for us as we move people in following Christ uh, around those uh, goals. And so uh, over the last, how many weeks has it been? Four, and today is the fifth one. Um, if you've been around, we started off looking at uh, God's vision uh, being laid on uh, His leaders uh, for them to raise up um, this vision and to see it um, brought into reality. Sometimes that was through foreign kings. Other times it was through people like Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, and he raised them up uh, to be uh, part of enabling his vision to be lived out uh, amongst his people. Uh, then there was the unity to the vision. Um, I think that was the one that Joel led us in. He talked a bit about um, the people said, well, let us arise and build. They saw God's vision and they said, yep, let's get on board with this. And they united with all their different gifts, their different abilities, their different uh, talents, and they united together to build um, a 12-metre-high wall that went for, uh, you know, the two kilometres around Scoresby, if you can remember Joel's picture there. And they built it supernaturally in 52 days as God worked through his people to see his vision become a reality in the world. Um, Then we um, looked at as soon as the vision came, what happened when the vision came? As soon as it came, there was opposition to it. There were people who did not want uh, Jerusalem to be built. They did not want uh, the temple to be built. And we uh, talked about that in our situation, that Satan, uh, the world, our old selves, uh, straight away become voices against us saying, uh, we don't want you to follow Jesus. Jesus is uh, a laughing stock. Uh, living as a Christian in this world is a joke. And they mocked and ridiculed uh, the people back then. Uh, and we still experience that today. Uh, and as we were talking about that, we saw uh, the people standing firm in who they were uh, in God. Standing firm, resisting uh, the lies and the deceit. Uh, and I think I, I had the, uh, the line out there, remember that the vision is more important than the fight. The vision is more important than the fight. The vision of having people living with God and following um, Jesus uh, is more important than fighting and defeating the enemy because God does that. Uh, and so we can stand firm in our truth and resist uh, evil as God uh, has his vision lived out to us. Then we talked, uh, Andrew talked a bit about the provision for the vision. 
that um, God provided over and above, far and above, uh, all that they needed to actually achieve this. Uh, and he talked about uh, that we as the New Testament church have been given every spiritual blessing, that uh, the Holy Spirit comes on us with power to actually live this out, to actually uh, live out uh, the reality of uh, being a follower of Jesus ourselves and helping others uh, follow Jesus and live with him. Um, and we, we had a, a, a um, prayer and chair meeting uh, this week. And again, we just uh, saw God's hand in provision for us and just financially. Our first fruits offering, uh, the, the uh, amount that had come in for that was uh, $42,500 has come in from our first fruits uh, offering. Um, and we, on, fr on Thursday night, just said thanks to God. This is not us. It's not our work. It's not a great sales technique or anything like that. It's not hard word. It's, not, it's God working through the generosity of his people uh, as they see his vision for uh, him to be lived out in this world. And we give thanks for that. Even things like, I was just thinking about it, even things like the, the wall mural, uh, over half of that is going to be paid for by the council uh, as they've uh, approved grants for us to uh, do that. We, some of our work in the school is being uh, paid for by the council uh, as God is uh, heaping his uh, uh, provision and abundance on us, providing for us as we seek to live out his vision uh, here. And so... Uh, Lastly, we want to um, celebrate this vision, and that's where we sort of get to today. Um, and it's um, I, I'm sort of um, using this idea probably now that um, they have moved into the city, the temple's been rebuilt, the people are living in the city and around the city, and there's basically the vision becomes a reality. Because what was the vision? I've been talking about the vision. What was the vision? The vision was that God and his people lived together for eternity. That's the vision. He wanted his people to live with him, him at the center, because the temple is at the center of Jerusalem, under his protection, under his provision uh, for eternity. God saving his people. Because remember, they had been exiles in Babylon and he saved them and he gathered them back together uh, as his people so that he can live with them together. But what we recognize when we read uh, the Old Testament, that uh, the Bible shows us that the Old Testament stories are not complete in and of themselves. They're part of the big story, which is the same story as the little story is the big story is God is saving his people to live with them for eternity. And that one day Jesus is going to uh, return um, and he's going to restore the earth back to perfection of God at the center with his people living uh, forever. Because we know um, back, back in Ezra and Nehemiah, even though the, uh, the city was rebuilt, there was still no sort of king that came in and, and, and sort of helped them to get set, out, set up. We know that within a few short years of this, they go into 400 years of pretty well silence, of hard yards. And it, it, it's like, actually, God's sort of with it, but it's not yet complete. It's not the full story. And then we get 400 years later, we get John the Baptist. We get Jesus coming in. And Jesus comes, and he, uh, he is the Messiah. We see him 
uh, come to live out this vision. God amongst his people. Uh, he lives amongst the people. And as we think about Easter, we think about his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension uh, that brings in a new part of the story. But here's the thing. You know, it's not yet complete, is it? Because it's here. We have victory, but it's now and but not yet. And why is it not yet? Jesus, uh, God says that I am holding off my return so that I can save all my people. The job is still out there to gather my people to me. And that job now is with you, my people, the church. You need to be my ambassadors to gather my people. So for when I return, that's when I'll return, when all my people uh, are gathered. And then we will live in perfection on the new heaven, on the new earth, back to God and his people together. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because we've, we've always referred to, as we've looked at Ezra and Nehemiah, we've, re- we've always brought it to the New Testament and how that brings a different outworking of this. Because now what happens is the people, the New Testament from Jerusalem, the people are sent out from Jerusalem. They're not gathered into Jerusalem anymore with uh, Jesus coming, the Old Testament, uh, sorry, the Holy Spirit coming. Uh, us now, we're sent out from Jerusalem to engage to the ends of the earth with this message of hope, this vision of hope. What's the vision? People living with Jesus at the centre of their lives, with him for eternity, both now, changing the way life happens now, and for eternity for when he comes back. And so as we're thinking of the Ezra and Nehemiah, as we read any of the New Old Testament stories, we've got to think these stories are part of that big story. We've got to think about how Jesus affects uh, what we're reading there, how that points to Jesus, how that uh, affects our lives in the light of Jesus coming at Easter and remembering that and the uh, promise that Jesus is coming again. How does that affect the way that you live on this earth now? How does that affect the way that you live with God? How does it affect the way that you live together? And so uh, we jump back to Ezra and Nehemiah, and the situation now is, so the temple has been built, the walls are complete, uh, the people have moved into the city, and so the question is, now what? Now what happens? And that's what uh, a letter read for us, isn't it? What happens when they're all uh, together? Well, Ezra and Nehemiah uh, get out the book. They get the, uh, the, the Old Testament law, the book of the law. And Ezra uh, gets up uh, and all the people are gathered around uh, and he starts to read it. And what's the response? How do people respond when they start hearing the law? What was their first response? Can anyone remember? Weeping. They start crying. They start realizing we haven't been living like this. We haven't been living with God the way he wanted us to live. And as I was thinking and preparing uh, this, uh, it came to me, this is probably one of the most powerful representations in the Old Testament of gospel truth, of grace coming on board. Because what happens here is when they start to read, what do Ezra and Nehemiah then tell the people to do? They say, stop weeping, stop mourning. Today is a day of victory. (laughs) Today is a day of celebration. Today is a day of joy. We need to celebrate this. And um, 
and chapters 8 and 9 if you've got them and if you, if you haven't I encourage you to read them uh, this week uh, as the word is read out and uh, it's always the pe- preacher's favourite passage because uh, they preached from morning till no, uh, to midday and if you look in the rest they went on and on for hours and hours and days and days um, so get ready no <laughs> that's right but they, and, and, and what they were doing, as they were hearing this, as they were engaging with this, uh, you know, my favourite line this year, they were reminded of who God was and who they were because of that. And so they were reminded of God, they were convicted, and then also they were uh, confirmed in terms of the promise that God had given them, that they were forgiven, they were his people. They were confronted uh, by not living it, so they have, you you read those two chapters, there's weeping, there's ash and sackcloth and stuff like that. And then their response to the word is confession and repentance. They recognise they haven't been doing that, we haven't done that. Um, And then, uh, if you go back to Ezra, what did they do when the the law was read there? They celebrated the Passover. What did the Passover do? The Passover reminded them who they are is that there was a God who had to sacrifice uh, an animal that would save them. God would pass over them, save them as his people. And that's how the sacrificial system then became an expression of that, is that uh, God's uh, wrath and punishment was placed on the animal so that they could have freedom, they could have forgiveness. And that's why the temple was at the centre. Remember, guys, who you are, that you've been forgiven. You're my people. I can live with you now. And so as they are convicted by it, their mourning turns into dancing. Uh, if we go to the next slide, there's celebration and there's joy. And there's a couple of great verses through Ezra and Nehemiah, and this is one of them. This one comes later on in Nehemiah chapter 12. And the joy, uh, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Because what do they do? They start singing. They start dancing. The musician, uh, musicians, musicians. <laughs> Music, musicians come out. Uh, if you remember some of the pictures, they get them up on top of the walls and they have the choirs going around the top of the walls, cont- continually praising God, worshipping Him for who God is and who they are because of Him. They remember, they hear the stories, the story is told again. They remember how God saved them. Uh, they remember the story of Abraham and Isaac and they remember uh, God saving them. They remember uh, the story of uh, their salvation. And they are told to celebrate joyfully with songs of thanksgiving, uh, rejoicing, and listen to this, because God had given them great joy. Because God had given them great, great joy. And the sound of rejoicing could be heard far away. And you think about that in our context too, that we're to be known as a celebrating, joyful, worshipping people of God. And so we can think about that here on a Sunday, that you know, we can do that. I like when I'm over at the office and we were praying over there this morning in Chappelle's Corner, and we can hear the music team and the youth band singing and praising. You can hear it coming out. There's something in that. But here's the thing. We know that worship just doesn't happen here on a Sunday morning, does it? Does your life sing out the praises of God? Does your life, is and, and we as Christians should be the most joyful, celebrating people on the planet. If, we realize, if this is true, if we believe this is true, that the God of the universe 
we can call dad, and that we're his kids and that we're destined for eternity, we should be the most joyful, celebrating people on the planet. And that's what the Spirit helps us do. The Holy Spirit, remember, loves joy. Pe- he actually helps us to live this out. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, come on us, put a smile on my face, put a spring in my step, and help me to praise you. And this is despite your circumstances. And so it's going to look different in your circumstances. You obviously, if you're going through grief and stuff like that, joy might not be exuberant praise, but joy may look like, I thank God that he's getting me through this. You know what you do did just then? You just praise God. You tell, if, you, if you tell someone that God's getting you through whatever it is, you're praising God. You're lifting him up. You're telling people how great God is because despite my circumstances, God keeps still getting me through. And yet there might be other times where you're on the top of the mountain and you've just experienced God's blessing in amazing ways. Um, oh, uh, uh, Danny, Danny put a post on uh, Facebook this week, something happened in her life. And I just re- read through it. And I was, hey, it was just this, oh, God's great. Look what he's done in my life. And she praised God. Uh, and there was a sense of joy through that uh, as well. How do, you, uh, how do you do that? How do we do that? Um, or are we doing that? And remember that God has promised his spirit to enable us to do it. And we keep in step with his spirit as we do it. Um, they are recipients of great joy because God is good. Because uh, God saves them, protects them, provides for them, gives them everything they need. Um, the leaders, and this is the powerful thing, isn't it? The leaders, all those people that a letter had to read out, Uh, Did you notice what they had to do? They took the word and they brought it to the people and explained to them how it worked. They explained to the people, they went out to the people and said, this is what this word means, this is what this message uh, means for us. And as they were explaining it to the people, did you get that verse? It was as they understood it, they understood what it meant, they understood who God was, they understood who they were, and they responded in in raucous praise and uh, worship. And one of the things that they did to express their worship was sacrifices. And the, the beauty of some of their sacrifices wasn't just that they were totally burned up. Uh, they actually, some of them were, but many of them weren't. Many of the sacrifices they got to eat. Parts of it were given, but part of it became a meal <laughs> to remind them <laughs> as they ate. And remember what Passover, they did that. They ate the lamb and that reminded them. And so we remember into the New Testament through Lord's Supper that does the same. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. I am the lamb that was sacrificed for you. And so I hope you smell your salvation cooking. Uh, because it, when Jesus and the disciples do this, they say, do this, uh, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Sometimes, and I think this is where the Christian practice comes of praying before a meal. And it's actually reminding ourselves before every meal, before we every, every time we put something into our mouth, we're reminded of who God is and who we are because of that. Because when the uh, New Testament talks about they, di- they had the breaking of bread, sometimes it refers to um, the Lord's Supper, but other times it just refers to them having meals together. And as they were doing that, they were remembering who God was and who they were because of him. Because this is, uh, I suppose, where it's going today, because what, what was the outworking of that? It says, don't walk, uh, weep, don't mourn, go and eat. The, 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 the um, translation here had fat. <laughs> go and eat. 
um, you could understand that the in those days, fat was like, it was the choice food. It was the best food. It was, you know, think of pork crackling. It's pretty well eating fat. Um, it was that idea. It was the best of the best. It was saying, now go out and eat choice food. Go and get the best drinks. Uh, I think the NIV t- uh, t- translates it choice food and sweet drinks. Uh, as we were preparing for lunch this week, um, Philippa and I were saying, oh, we might just drink water. And then I read this verse. I said, no, we're going for juice and everything because we're going for sweet drinks. We're going for choice drinks. <laughs> we're going because there's something about that that celebrates out of joy. It's something, it's good. We're going to eat together later and it's a good thing for us to do together as we celebrate God's provision to us. So we eat sugar in appropriate ba- uh, doses. And that's what they did. They were told to do it. And did you hear their response? They went out and they ate choice food. They celebrated together. They drank together uh, as they understood. That's what it said. They did it because they understood the book. They under The book tells them who God is and who they are because of it. And they go out and live this life of joy and celebration. And so as you keep reading, uh, they get into more uh, feasts and celebrations. They have gatherings, assemblies, and those sorts of things. Uh, as you read through chapter 9, uh, you come into um, this um, great section. There's a whole section there that just runs through the history of Israel. And I've sort of alluded to already. And as they read through this, they're just reminded again of this saving God that continues to work out his covenant of love, saving his people. But there's another refrain that constantly goes through this history. The constant refrain is, and the people rebelled, and the people went back, and the people turned away from God. And yet there's this constant refrain that goes through it, and yet, God, you loved them, and yet, God, you kept saving them, and yet, God, you kept bringing them back. And this is the gospel I would say it's the gospel rhythm that we get right through the Bible. And that these two things that, that come together is that when the word is read, we realize that we haven't lived that way and we've rebelled against God and we're living our own way. And then when we read it and read, there's a way that God has made us right with him so we can enjoy and celebrate together. And it becomes this real rhythm of confession and joy, of um, repentance celebration and they're both um, convicting and they're done in in balance and in in unity together but I think I think where we go with the confession and repentance thing I think the the tendency of us as Christians is to dwell on that and that that we actually use it as a tool to make ourselves feel bad that's not what the Bible teaches it's not a tool to make you feel bad it's a tool to make you dependent on God and recognize the extent of his love and grace. And so that you go out living a life of joy and celebration as you realize how far you've fallen from him and how far he's going to express his love to you. And so this rhythm of confession and celebration, of repentance and joy. And so what do the people say as they uh, start to experience this? There's some amazing statements in there. 
uh, in 9.38, as they get to the end of this story, the people say, in light of this, in light of who God is, we're making a binding agreement, and they say this in 10.29, they say, we are going to follow the book of the law. And if you bring that into the New Testament context, doesn't it sound familiar? And when we realize what Jesus has done at Easter, what do we say? We respond to his call to come and follow me. Because Jesus was the word become flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And he says, now I want you to follow me and be like me and live like me. And the people say together with one voice, we will not neglect the house of God. And when you think in the New Testament context, what's the house of God? It's where he now dwells. It's you and me. It's the church. He says, we will not neglect that. So we're going to love and celebrate each other in this as the people of God. And so the people of God celebrate God and they celebrate each other. And here's the good news. This is where the gospel is so powerfully proclaimed in this Ezra Nehemiah story. It's the heart of the Christ, uh, Christian message. I really want you to be not miss this. Don't miss this one. It's what makes us different to all other religions. The people do not obey in order for God to love them. Okay? The gospel says the people obey because God loves them. And so, it's the, you know, if you've heard the do versus done, all other religions, all other worldviews say that you have to do stuff in order to gain favor with your higher power, whatever that is. You've got to do stuff. You've got to prove yourself. You've got to, and Christianity is the only worldview, it's the only religion that flips that on its head and it says God so loved you that he made a way for you to live with him. Because you now are right with him, because you have eternity uh, within you, now you follow him. And that becomes your act of worship. That becomes your act of praise. That becomes a demonstration of who God is and who we are because of him. And so we follow Jesus and we live like him and we act like him and we speak like him. Not to gain favor, but as an act of worship, as an act of joy, as an act of celebration. Our lives become a celebration. We follow Jesus because we're joyful and we're celebrating the new life that we have in him. So this Easter, celebrate. That's why we're sending you out to your neighbors and asking you to gather together for a meal. Because do you see, did you read what, what a letter read? As they get the choice food and the choice drink, do you read just a couple of little lines in there where it says, they had to get the portions of that and then bring them to those that didn't have any. And so they had to take this choice food and bring it to others. Others who might have been outside the village or away from the, uh, the temple. And so we do that too. <laughs> we take the sacrifice. We take the reality of who we are and we bring it to the world. We bring that joy. We bring that celebration. And I think that's one of the uh, blessings of having meals together with people. Because you're actually living this out. It's actually a physical reminder of who God is and who you are because of him. And we celebrate God's goodness and joy together. And so this rhythm of the gospel stuff, it's reality. Because if you get to the end of Nehemiah, have you read the end of Nehemiah? 
We're back to the role to hijack. We're back to doing things the way they want it. And if you think of that in the New Testament context, think of Paul, Romans chapter 7. I trot it out a lot. The things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. The things I really should do, I don't. He lived out the rhythm of the gospel. He said, even though I, I, the old self, I fall back into that trap. But then what does he say? Romans chapter 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's worth celebrating. That's worth uh, singing about. I've got no idea where I am. Go to the ne- next slide. Ah, yep, we'll finish off on this. Luke chapter 24, as we come into Easter. In Luke chapter 24, if you've got it at the end, you can have a look at it in your Bibles if you've got it at the end of uh, Luke chapter 24. It's just this nice length as we head into Easter. And as um, Jesus appears to his disciples after his resurrection, and their response is one that's quite amazing. Uh, it's one, <laughs> as Jesus appears to them, it's, it's this line here. And while they... Th- and while they still did not believe because of the joy and amazement, they're almost, you know, you realize what's happened. Jesus has just appeared to them. He's alive again. And they're out of their heads with joy and celebration at this fact. They are so they're, they're almost, ah, we don't know what to do. What, how, to, how, ah. Because Jesus is alive. Everything has changed. And they're out of their heads in joy and celebration. And Jesus said, remember, I told you this, I am here to fulfill the Old Testament law. So you don't have to do the sacrifice system anymore because I fulfilled it. And I fulfilled, he says in that passage, I fulfilled Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. They were all pointing to me. And so we too now, as those who live 2,000 years after these events, become recipients of God's fulfillment through Jesus and it goes on, he says, he opens their mind to the word. He explained it to them. He explained how it, it, it worked. And then what does it teach? He says, I want you to go now and I want you to preach. This is what he says. I want you to preach for, um, repentance and forgiveness. I want you to pre- preach that gospel rhythm of conviction and hope and joy. And he says, you're to be my witnesses. Uh, and he says, I want you now to go out from Jerusalem to the ends of the world. Uh, to the ends of the earth but he says before you go wait and what is he going to what are they going to wait for they wait for a power from on high we know that's the holy spirit to enable you to do this to enable you to knock on the doors of your neighbors and say come and celebrate easter with us come have a meal with us to give you power to say actually just before we eat we're going to pray because we want you know as christians we celebrate Or to give you the power to go to your school friends and show them what it looks like to love Jesus by saying, I'll be your friend. The stuff that we don't think we can do, Jesus promises a power from on high for you to to be able to live a life of joy and celebration because of who he is and who you now are because of him. Because you're the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Remember what he said? you'll be able to do greater things than this. Greater things than I did. Through the power of my spirit who lives in you. 
And what do they do as they hear this message in Luke 24? They worship with great joy. They continue praising God. And if you read uh, through the rest of uh, the New Testament, you see what that looks like. And so uh, as we get to the end of this message, there's this little passage that we just read. Then all the people began to eat and drink. They sent portions. That was the, they went out with it. And they had a great celebration because they had understood the words that were explained to them. This book now gives you a new identity. It should fill you with joy and hope and celebration. And particularly as we come into Easter this week, as we recognize uh, the center of who we are, Jesus, his death, resurrection, ascension. So today we celebrate with great joy. So we're going to have lunch after this and we're going to eat choice food. We've got pork and beef. and lamb. Oh, did we get lamb? No, I think we got pork and lamb. And we've got, I mean, pork and beef cooking. We've got wraps. We've got choice drinks that we're going to have. We're going to share portions together. And we're going to remember who God is. We're going to celebrate together. We're going to live out this vision as God's people together as a community who live under grace and mercy. But before we do that, we'll do what the Israelites did. What do they do when they first heard it? They start singing. They start worshipping. They start celebrating. So let's pray, and then I'm going to ask our youth team to come up, and then we're going to pray. So let me pray. Lord and God, uh, we thank you for this message. We thank you for... Uh, the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. We thank you for the hope and joy and celebration that it brings to us. And as we head into this week where we're going to celebrate Easter, Lord, again, will you help us to celebrate this rhythm of the gospel as we recognize that we haven't lived according to your ways, but we also know that you have made a way right for us to be with you. And so, Lord, we confess to you and then we also celebrate our forgiveness and our being made right with you. And so, Lord, now as we uh, worship you and praise you in song, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon us with power, that you would help us to sing with gusto so uh, it could be heard from afar that we are a celebrating, joyful people. May uh, your name be shouted out. May you be glorified in our lives here today and through the week. In the name of Jesus, amen.